Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist Marketeers 4DC. Welcome to The Echo Chamber. Very happy to be joined today by Tim Sutton, who is now back in London after spending the last... Uh, is it eight years eight in Hong years, Kong? Eight years, amazingly, Arun, yes. I, I'm not going to even try and introduce your uh, job title because it just gets longer and longer. Presumably you get paid more and more each time it gets um, longer. But strangely, there doesn't seem to be that correlation <laughs> one would hope. <laughs> but tell us what it is exactly your title is now. Well, I'm um, my title, if you want the title, mm. uh, is is I'm chairman of, um, of Weber Shamwick in um, Europe, Middle East Africa, uh, but also still in the Asia-Pacific region. And um, I also have um, some responsibility as um, chairman in those same two regions for Interpublic's marketing services division, CMG, mm-hmm. of which, of course, you know, Weber Shamwick is, is a crucial right. part. So, so, so long title, and uh, therefore I'm still trying to work out exactly what that all means, Aaron. Long title in a very big region. Um, well, that's in a, in a sense part of part of the point, um, mm. which is that you know we we divide the world um, into neat regions: Latin America, North America, Europe, Middle East, Africa, Asia Pacific, and um, to some extent they make sense. Of course, you know there are, there are some commonalities in each of those regions. To some extent, they resonate with clients. But um, if you just kind of confine your thinking to regions only a lot falls mm. down between the cracks yeah i mean interestingly not all clients by the way neatly divide into those categories no. anyway i mean some put no. africa in one place and some put it yeah. in another place and the middle east is here and the middle east is is there mm. so i mean that there is that point but i think the more even more fundamental um perhaps than that is is the is the fact that you know, we're trying, certainly at Weber Shamwick, you know, one of our sweet spots is to try and drive multi-market engagement programs. Mm. We've got, I would think, we're the best out there at doing it, perhaps because we've made more mistakes than anyone else, by mm. the way, in the past. You know, we've had, you know, you learn a lot mm. from what you do wrong. But the, the point is, in a sense, just being regionally located and saying, I'm Asia or I'm, or I'm EMEA doesn't quite crack it for some mm. clients because they're looking at a much more complex web of uh, connection points, some of which are regional, some of which are issues-based, some of which are cultural. And so having some um, glue, if you like, um, in, a, in our own company, which is over and above each individual region, mm. we think is and uh, is quite important. Yeah, indeed. Um, so you've relocated back to London yes. after eight years in Hong yes. Kong. Now, as a Hong Kong native myself... Um, what I've often noticed is that um, ex- expats, when they've been in Hong Kong for for eight years, they usually don't return. So, well, I'm so... trying. I'm trying not to whinge too much. <laughs> I, I don't want to be a whinging expat. What went wrong since <laughs> I've come back? Well, it's strange because, like, you're quite right. Uh, like, like many of us, we went. I went with my family, my mm-hmm. wife, and two two daughters. And we went for two to three years, and it's incredible how it suddenly becomes seven or eight years. Listen. Um, Asia is just a, a wonderfully uh, dynamic place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it was personally, it was my family, and it most certainly was professionally. I mean, where else do you get such an incredible uh, diversity of, of languages, cultures, religions, political systems? And let's be honest, Hong Kong was a pretty cool place to live. Mm-hmm. A really expensive one, by the way, as you know, Arun. <laughs> but a very cool place to be. And we were, we were very happy there, and all these things coalesced together. And 
And I suppose as well why eight years was that, you know, if you're going to commit to any job, um, you don't necessarily have to say eight years, but you have to give it a really good, mm. you know, commitment and period of time. And I kind of felt with, in the case of the Weber Shamwick business there, that um, it, it took, you know, it took time um, and a lot of learning to drive it in the direction we wanted. Now, in the end, you know, the end result of that looks great. You know, business treble, lots of awards, agency of the year and so on. But it takes a lot of effort over a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, whether it should have been six, eight or nine, I don't know. But it's, it mm. seemed to me that was a, a fair amount of time to commit and devote to it. And, and Asia will retain uh, not just part of my responsibilities, but a very fond place in my heart as well. Sure. Yeah. Now, the big question, of course, you, you spent eight years running running Weber Shandwick in addition to the other businesses and, and, and doing the job um, pretty pretty well, if I, if I might say so myself. Um, what were the, I suppose, the, the signal learnings um, from your time there in a, from, a, from a public relations perspective or, or indeed in terms of running a public relations agency across that many markets? Well, I think the first thing... Um when I went to Asia, was to was to, um, to 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 relearn the the notion that the starting point of all wisdom is to admit you know nothing, mm. and um, and because there was a danger, you know, when you go into Asia from the UK or North America, that you convince yourself you've got some like a missionary going to Africa, you know, you've got some you've got some educational role mm. to lift these people mm. uh, out of their you know emerging market mm-hmm. darkness into the light of, you know, sophisticated civilization. Well, clearly there are things that can be learned in Asia and are being learned in Asia from what happens in Europe or North America. There's nothing mm. wrong with that. But you very soon, or I very soon realized that uh, how much of it was of two-way traffic. Mm. You know, there are things happening in Asia, you know, Arun, from your own time in Hong Kong, there are things happening in Asia which are um, pretty amazing in their own rights. I mean, just to list two or three of them very quickly. Mm -hmm. One is you have um, uh, markets which are real um, uh, hotbeds of creativity, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, really dynamic, people who really get engagement, to to use the Weber Shanwick word. Um, And and you you see that really, really quickly. Secondly, you have um, markets which... um, you know, Asia still has a lot of problems, of course, but which are, to, to generalize, um, uh, have a lot more confidence in themselves, yeah. understand that the the sum shift in the macroeconomic tectonic plates of the world, if you like, towards China, towards Southeast mm. Asia, towards India. And, and therefore, there is an immense um, confidence there. And that reflects itself, I think, probably in a, in a third um Key key attribute Asia has, which is that there is um, there is almost um, uh, an idealism, a powerful idealism that communications matters. Point one, mm-hmm. and that it changes not just you know the fortunes of corporations and companies, which we kind of all get, but it changes lives. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you see some of the programs going on within Asia, they they're informed by by an immense belief and confidence in the power of PR and the power of all marketing service engagement to make a difference. Mm. Well, I'm a Brit and um, brought up in, 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 in Europe, and it's perhaps easy to forget a little bit sometimes here mm. because we become a bit cynical. <laughs> and God a forbid. Bit, oh, God forbid, <laughs> but a bit, you know, overweighted by the burdens of life um, mm. to, to, to lose that sense of idealism. And so that's yeah. something I kind of really took away from Asia sure. as well. Sure, almost like a sense of optimism. 
very much a sense of optimism. And, and when you see, I mean, to me, again, a reflection of this is, you know, we talk about the first world and the second world and the third world. Mm. Well, it's not quite so straightforward. You know, mm. you go to um, the airport in Hong Kong or KL or Changi in Singapore or uh, Seoul. Mm. These are first world facilities yeah. and capabilities. Hotels are amazing. And, and now, now my local right. airport is Luton. And, well, God bless Luton. Well, I was brought up near a place called East Midlands Airport, which is even worse. But, um, but, 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 but seriously, there is a there has been a of course a huge investment in 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 new infrastructure and all the it, it rather reminds me actually for those of you who like your history it rather reminds me of Birmingham in the nineteenth century when the industrial revolution happened you know there was immense mm. civic pride there was immense investment in in public works right and and you know that money could be spent well or badly of course and there still remained many many problems in Asia, poor people, urbanization, pollution, and so on. But that the confidence that comes from um, from a belief in, in, in the power of, 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 of governments and societies to improve themselves mm. and, and the evidence that it's happening is pretty powerful when, it, yeah. when it's reflected back into PR and communications, you know? Yeah, sure. And presumably, I mean, your role now includes Africa, and I'd imagine you're, you, you, you would hope at least to see a similar sort of phenomenon underway there as well. I think it very much is, and, and Colin Burner, who runs our EMEA businesses, mm. is very engaged in, in trying to... Um, to build that out, there's mm-hmm. no doubt in in my mind. I've done two or three projects uh, over the last ten years um, within Africa that that um, things are really happening in Africa. You know, it's unfortunate that because of things like Ebola, mm-hmm. we tend to focus, as always in Western media, on on the problems, and there are problems. Yeah. I don't mean to diminish them at all, but but there's also there are also thriving uh, markets, major. Corporations, some of which are our clients, are investing um, heavily there. Again, like Asia, you have an, an infrastructure um, for uh, for the internet built very much on mobile. Yeah, uh, not they kind of missed the fixed line stage mm-hmm. that we have. So for all those reasons, things are beginning to to um, to absolutely happen in Africa. Our global chairman Jack Leslie is very involved there as well, and, right. and so we yeah. will definitely be investing further in Africa. And that's something I hope to be able to support Colin and the team on. Sure. So you mentioned that there were certain markets in Asia that are quite creative. I mean, do you, would you would you be comfortable naming those markets? Because yeah, I think sure. it's something listeners would definitely be interested. Yeah, in. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think you've got you can sort of divide them into two in a way. You've you've got the um, quasi international world cities like Hong Kong and Singapore, mm. um, which um, aggregate a lot of talent from around the world. They are, as you know, um, they're, they're cross cultural. People from the West, people from Asia. Um, kind of come together. They're kind of hot spots. Um, and these are, again, first world kind of cities with first world infrastructure. So th- there's obviously talent in there which, which um, kind of comes together in two key hubs. But outside that, of course, um, then you go um, into you know different environments. China, um, which um, you know, Arun, you know, having had some experience in Asia, is just incredible in the dynamism of its of its of its growth, its appetite for internet, its appetite for social media, its appetite for for change, and and then again you go to India where we have some of the brightest um, IT and creative and software talent on the planet. The infrastructure mm. may not be quite as good yet, <laughs> but uh, but they they compensate for that in Indonesia. Mm. Uh, which I think I'm right in saying is the second biggest users of Facebook in the that's world. That's right, yes. Yeah. I mean, that's so right. again, in Jakarta and elsewhere in Indonesia, you see 
you see that um, as well. And there's always been talent in in Australia, of course, as well. Mm. You know, to, uh, uh, that's always been aside from just the Brits out there. Apart from just the <laughs> apart from just the Brits out there, yeah. um, we could have done some of that creativity in the rugby recently in the, in the England <laughs> side. But there you go. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so I, I think you know there are, there are many. I don't want to kind of generalize too much. The the, mm. the kind of environment. There are many different environments within Asia. Um, and it's hard at first sight to say, well, what unites India with Japan with Australia? They're so different. Mm. But there is a kind of common core theme again, which which comes back to um, huge dynamism, huge uh, growing areas of talent and a fresh perspective on the world, um, which we would do again well to humbly uh, learn from and engage from sitting here in London or New York or anywhere else for that matter. Mm. Sure. Now, the the perception has always been that Growth is just a given in Asia. You're going to grow at 20%. And in fact, you're going to grow as fast as you can find the talent. Um, so how accurate is that? Yeah, well, I've, I've, I've uh, often had to manage expectations on that one. <laughs> Although we haven't done too badly. Um, of course, listen, it's, um, there, is a, there is a reality there, you know, that, that in, uh, within most of Asia, uh, let's exclude Japan for the mm-hmm. moment, which is a sure. very different case of a highly mature market with very low rates of, of growth for all sorts of economic reasons. But in, in mostly speaking, they exclude the, the North Koreas and so on. But in most, you're right, in most of the um, the rest of Asia, you see GDP growth rates um, in China, in India, um, in Southeast Asia, which are very significantly higher um, than you would find um, in, in, in your Middle East Africa or in North America, although I have to say the American growth rate isn't at all bad either. Mm. So um, at, at that level, you know, is, you, you're right in saying, or people are right in saying that the key issue at one level isn't demand. Mm. You know, the demand is there and, and that will apply, you know, whether the Chinese economy is slowing slightly or whether it isn't, you know. Um, so that's that's true. However, the, the, the challenges in Asia um, are very, very different. You know, one, one of course, you put your finger on is very much about talent. How do we uh, find it? How do we develop it? How do we retain it? Uh, because, of the, you know, the different cultural attitudes to career and employment are quite different there than they are here. Mm. And that's one challenge. And, and, and then the other challenge kind of related to that but separate is, you know, how, the, how do you make a marketing or a brand program work in 15 or 20 markets which are mind-blowingly different from each other. Mm. And again, as I say, Asia Pack looks a very convenient thing when you've got a map in a boardroom in New York. (laughs) But, you know, trying to make sense of it um, when you're sitting in Hong Kong saying, you know, how does this work in Indonesia and in Japan and India and Australia is is, it's hugely challenging. And and there's no, you know, convenient glib off the shelf answers to, to that one. We kind of you know, we have to look at each situation, each client case as it comes. But nor do we have to reinvent it every time. There are a lot of learnings established now. And again, I'd like to think we've got, um, you know, along with one or two of our competitors, but I'd like to think we've got particularly good at it. Mm. Um, you mentioned attitudes towards careers are different in Asian, in some of the Asian markets. Well, I think it's changing. I think, you know, for instance, when I first went to um, uh to Asia, uh, if you were to take the example of, say, within China, you know, we had, and, I, and I'm pretty sure uh, all our competitors had incredibly mm. high rates of turnover. Yeah. And, um, and that's not a criticism, it's just the way it was. So particularly, I mean, everyone used to talk about Shanghai, particularly, mm. where if, if an employee, you know, if there was another a job 
down the road that offered them for two thousand dollars in Rimby, then people just leave, right? So there wasn't that sense necessary career progression. It's I'll stay here as long as it's convenient to stay here, and then I'll move somewhere else and and so on. And there was also at the same time still there but diminished a kind of view that well, I'm not sure I want to work for an agency anyway because I want to work for a major brand. I want to work for Microsoft or, mm. or uh, you know, I want to work for China Mobile or whatever, mm. whatever it happens to be. So mm. so capturing those stuff and, and persuading them as such a thing as a develop, career developmental path and that money is important. We'll try and look after you on money, of course. We'll be very competitive, but the other benefits accrue to you in terms of learning and development by by staying with the business and persuading them as well that, you know, what's the point of being an international firm if you can't spend a month in Singapore or you can't spend a month? So I think those kind of lessons has, has developed you know, a, a greater maturity of expression. And we're now mm. seeing, across, certainly across our business, and I hope in our competitors too, because in a sense this we're all in this together, we're now seeing, a, you know, a true cadre, if you like, of uh, authentically... Asian leaders developing, and, mm. and that's kind of really good to see. Absolutely. I mean, when I kind of moved to London, it was still the case, I think, that most international PR firms were led by expats. And I think at some PR firms, frankly, that's still the case. But it's the talent is there now. To, to, the ta- to, to the talent is that. absolutely there. And mm. um, and we, we're kind of proud. It's taking time to get there again, but we're certainly proud that in, in um, pretty much um, every market in Asia Pac, you know, we have uh, the offices run by mm-hmm. by a local. Now that's not just for reasons of diversity, although right. I happen to believe they're important from, mm. from a moral perspective. It's because these people are authentic. They're mm. authentic in market, and our clients expect them to have authentic, authentically rooted knowledge. Mm. Now expats can bring something, or at least I hope they could. I would have been there for eight years, and there's still a role in certain specialised areas for an expat to come in, and 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 to for people to learn from them. But that's not the future. I mean, absolutely not the future. And and the future has to be Asia for Asians, uh, but even beyond that, you know, Chinese for Chinese and Indians for Indians. Mm. And and it, it's it's nor should there be a reverse movement against expats. You know, mm. expats have a role, but it's come a long way in eight years, and um, we've come a long way. I'd like to think our better competitors have come a long way as well. And um, and that is absolutely uh, the future. Yeah, let's talk. A little bit about China, because obviously, probably the, the, the country, the market in Asia that, that gets the most attention for, for one reason or another. If we look a little bit um, at the macro issues that the country is facing, you know, there's an expectation of slower growth. Suggests you timed your exit from Asia <laughs> quite well. Um, but how do you think that's going to affect the public relations market there? Well, um, there may be some slowdown in China. I think looking at all the macroeconomic indicators, um, there appears to be some slowdown in in the headline um, mm-hmm. growth number, and there was a lot of attention, of course, put on the um, on what was an effective devaluation of the RIMBI mm-hmm. and um, and falls in uh, the value of the stock market, uh, albeit from really previous high levels. So there, well, you know, China's not immune um, to, to to cycles, mm-hmm. um, and it may well be that there is a cycle taking place at the moment. And uh, having said that, um, I have to say our, our own experience, um, certainly continuing this year, is of continued very healthy growth in the PR market. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen some, you know, quite startling uh, growth growth levels this year in our in our own business, mm. and we're continuing to see a broadening and a deepening 
the kind of engagement that public relations is having in China. And, and what people often don't understand about China is that they get obsessed with or they get stuck on the political system. Because okay? mm. the political system, as you know, is very, very different to, to our own mm -hmm. you know, democratic ideas. But even though this is a, a, a country which continues to be managed by one party, um, there is growing pluralism in China, by which I mean there are distinct uh, groups and organizations and pressure groups in society that are able to drive their interests um, to some extent in the public domain um, and which it's which you know effectively want to influence and drive change it's a, becoming a pluralistic society in that sense pluralistic mm. not necessarily in a democratic sense mm. now all of that's good for us that's the underlying reality of China Right. There are other challenges that remain um, for uh, Western-owned operators there, um, especially those which are public companies, because there are traditional historic practices in China, we all know, um, that have developed over time within a Chinese context and which, you know, from a... From a um, a Western governance point of view are mm. are challenging. Right. So and you're talking about some of the ethical. I'm issues talking about and so some on. of the some of the um, what we call ethical or business practice sure. um, issues. Right. And paying um, journalists to come to pay, press pay, conferences. Paying journalists would be one practice mm -hmm. certainly which um, has not disappeared completely. Right. Um, and um, there is I do know on that particular one there is um, because we're very involved in it there is an industry wide initiative mm. um, between the major PR firms to to get um, a satisfactory route away from that practice. Now, it's, sure. it's hard to do just like that overnight, but I yeah. think we're all committed to doing that. And and there, there are just different cultural issues. For instance, in China, there is no clear whistleblowing culture, as you would have mm. in, in, in Europe or US. It's just not there. Mm. You have a, you'll be very familiar with Wang Xi, mm -hmm. uh, which is, if you like, um, a, a, a loose kind of patronage system in which people help their family and friends um, and has many positive attributes to it, has some negative attributes to it as well. Sure. So, listen, we can't go in as a Western company, um, and, and nor do we try to, to try and say, you have to do it this way. Mm. That said, there are uh, governance requirements we right. have as a public company, and we continue to work really hard uh, to navigate our way through. And what's particularly encouraging, I guess, as well, is that completely separate to the concerns of, 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 of Western public corporations. The Chinese government itself has expressed enor enormous commitment and evidenced commitment mm -hmm. to fighting corruption. Right. And so, and so I do think we're seeing a, 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 an environment um, in China which is changing ultimately very positively from a business practice point of view. Mm. But that's not to pretend that everything is sort of hunky-dory overnight. Sure. And how... How do you compare um, the progression of, of India's public relations market? Because that's kind of proceeded in fits and starts a little bit. Um, it, it grows really well one year and then seems to not grow so well the next year. Well, in, India is a strange case. You, you might remember really my childhood there um, mm. back, in, back in the distant 1960s when Bangalore was a sleepy army town and no one had heard of IT. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested in, in India. Um, so look, here's, in India, you have a very, very different situation in China. So in China, you have amazing infrastructure, typically, at least in the, in the tier one cities, mm -hmm. um, and uh, infrastructure in terms of real estate, transport, I, you know, computers and so on. And it's been more challenging, although it's changing fast, to find 
the talent to, to you know to drive it in a global sense. In India, you have amazingly talented people, <laughs> some of whom better speak better English than what I do, right? Yeah, and, <laughs> and who uh, have PhDs coming out their ears and are amazingly just talented, um, vibrant people. All of which is wonderful, sort of um, bedrock, if you like, for PR to rest on. Now, mm. until now. Um, until recently, let's say, not now, until last year or two, you know, you've had a pretty fragmented sort of PR industry in, in India. You know, all the majors, internationals are kind of there mm-hmm. in some shape or form. Yeah. There are one or two strong local players right. as well. And um, and they're still kind of dealing with, uh, largely it is changing, dealing with PR in a media sense that we were kind of doing in the 80s. And, mm-hmm. and the value, the dollar value, if you like, or the rupee value, I should say, that's, that was put on PR was relatively low. Mm. Now, I'm pleased to say, um, certainly from the evidence of our business, and I think understanding, again, one or two of our competitors, that is changing very rapidly. We are seeing the development of a, what you might call a really strong strategy market developing in India, which has kind of moved up the the food chain. We have a, um, uh, again, without getting political, but we have a clearly a government in place that has, uh, is very keen to invest and drive the economy. Um, and and so for all those reasons, we're beginning to see pretty good growth in India now. Um, I think it's got a long way to go, um, and which is the good news as well as the bad news. Mm. You know, we're still starting yeah. from a relatively small base, but I, I'm kind of excited by what's happening um, in India. And once India does hit its stride, it has this wonderful, wonderful advantage of the English language. Mm. You know, across educated India at least. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, I, I joked about it before. That is a huge kind of global mm. asset uh, if they can, you know, just create the infrastructure around that and drive that. If only. Well, we'll see. Ah. Now, it's, this is kind of turning into a bit of a whistle-stop tour around Asia. But actually, your observations of different markets are, um, are really insightful. So while we're doing this, I wanted to ask you um, to to maybe describe the Japanese PR market a little bit for our listeners, because that's a market that I think has, has been challenged in recent years. Yes, it has been challenged. It's, it's still uh, an incredibly important market. Um, and, you know, Japan is sometimes, um, has been, it has been observed, and mm-hmm. I report this neutrally, that Japan is kind of the France of Asia. It's kind of right. within Asia, but it, it has, it has um, its own very, very idiosyncratic, structure and cultures and so on and actually that that analogy is not too far-fetched if you look at the major holding groups and the publicists and have us in france and the dentsu in japan mm-hmm. and how those have, have built up so japan you have a, a, a you know anyone who's been to tokyo will know in, in a very very sophisticated um educated environment with um major local companies that are global brands and have cracked the global piece and the way that China looks on a little bit enviously saying, what do we need to do to get there? Mm. And um, and you still have, let's not forget, because everyone talks China, China all the time, you still have an economy which officially at least is the third largest. Some people in Japan might claim they're still the second if you, depending right. on whose figures you believe. So sure. this is a very, very large, substantial market, which is why it's one of our largest operations um, mm. in, in, in Japan. And um, with a very highly sophisticated media, um, and it's a market that we should continue to take really, really seriously. Um, 
you know, it, it's very easy to kind of think, well, China's growing, at, you know, 10%, 20%, 30%, and Japan is staying still at, you know, 1% or 2%, or if you're lucky, you might get up to 10%, you know, mm. if the business is doing well. Well, that's a reality, but let's look at the base they're starting from and, and, and the nature of the work. And so Chinese, uh, sorry, excuse me, Japanese clients um, remain hugely critical uh, to, to our business, both within Japan and globally. The level of skill uh, that there is there, particularly in in um, areas such as corporate and, and public affairs and so on, are, is very, very high. There is a growing signs, there are growing signs, I should say, of a serious engagement with uh, with the internet. Now, Japan's always had that technically, obviously. Mm -hmm. You know, they're very sophisticated on the internet, but by, by which I mean the whole social media and engagement mm -hmm. environment was rather slower to make up in Japan, but is now motoring very, very quickly. And, and again, you have in Tokyo, uh, one of the most creative cities in the world. I mean, right. Japanese, you know, anyone mm. who does knows gaming yeah. or uh, who gets involved will know how important Japan is to that. So for all those reasons, um, Japan um, um, may record slower headline growth numbers. There is a reality there to that economy and high savings ratio and low rate of growth and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And other people are more qualified than I to, to talk about that. But it remains hugely important and, and substantial in size mm. as well. I mean, for you? Know, yeah. But I mean, not for many international firms. Well, I, I can't say. Um, mm. Maybe for one or two. And it listen, it's, it's, um, it's a hard, anyone will know, it's a hard market to come into from outside. Mm. Yours was an acquisition, is that correct? About or? 50 years ago or something. Oh, I mean, right. We had it in that. <laughs> right. It's been there for, no, seriously, it was, mm. it was, um, it was predecessor company was International Public Relations and, right. and Nishitani-san, uh, who's still our chairman, yeah. um, has has been around since shortly after the dinosaurs, mm. sort of, you know, but he's, you know, he's, he's, um, the business, our business has been there a very long time. Right. As, and, and, and as Weber Shamwick, it's been there a long time as yeah. well. But it's it, it's 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 a difficult you know place to go in from outside. Not because Jap the Japanese are incredibly welcoming, mm. but also they they have their own way of doing things. Yeah. And 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 it's it, it's it's hard to just break in as mm. a foreigner. And so again, it, it takes a lot of um, time. And and bit, coming back to what we we're saying a few moments ago, Arun, it's about being rooted again, mm. authentically. And and that's what again what we try to do in our business. Sure. So. Whilst we're on this this topic of looking at different Asian markets, where do you think is next in terms of where the big um, PR, networks, PR networks such as your own are going to invest? I mean, we've seen some activity in Vietnam. We've seen a little bit of interest in the Philippines. Myanmar has been discussed. Yeah, all, all of those. Um, I think, you know, um, in no particular order, I think taking Southeast Asia as a whole now rather than necessarily mm -hmm. signaling out yeah. Any particular market it is is very very interesting because the 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 cross connections within ASEAN um, are multiplying all the time. Clearly, Singapore is the obvious sort of hub on there. But the mm. but you're right. You know, Jakarta's um, an interesting environment. Um, people mention Manila. Um, there's always been a, a core market in 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 KL. Mm. Vietnam might be interesting. We we personally have not invested there yet, mm. uh, but we keep a watching brief on it. Yeah, that, it crops it up. It was fashionable around yeah. three years ago, but it seems well, to have. I don't know. Yeah, mate, you're right. But so we you know do we get a few client engagements a year, but but you know, uh, and I don't rule it out. Mm. But not quite sufficient yet to to take that plunge. But we may. Okay, mm -hmm. and Myanmar, of course. Um, um, 
while it continues to be have some challenges um, and, and some political issues, it's, it's most definitely opening up. You only have to look at the tourist numbers mm-hmm. going, going to Myanmar. So I think all of the Southeast Asia generally, within Southeast Asia, uh, if I were to single any market out, it would still be Indonesia. Still, right. Um, again, it's, it's um, you know, look at if you look beyond the short-term economic performance and what's happening with elections there not so long ago, mm. look at the fundamental demographics. You know, there's a market with some 250 million yeah. consumers. Yeah. So it's big, right? So you've got to believe that at some point in this process, um, looking over a longer time span, Indonesia is going to be very, very important. Yeah, it seems to have become a a more productive market. I mean, all the international networks are there. They're all there. And, and, you know, there there are still rules on um, Mm. uh, precluding foreign ownership, which are complicated. Yes. yes. Um, But they're all there. And again, we we have a, you know, good business there. And um, I think it's fair to say Edelman have a good business there and one or two others. Yeah. And um, we're beginning to see certainly a lot of brands have enormous engagement there. And there's great going back to the sort of creativity thing again. There's some great talent there. So, mm. so you know, over a longer term pattern, that that's what I would sort of um, probably mark out as the most obvious. Mm. There are other possibilities if you go back to China, you know, whether we should or shouldn't start engaging much more socially mm. with tier two and tier three cities, which mm. again is, 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 you know, something we look at almost every year. Mm. And uh, and we're already, you know, carrying a lot of programs out of those uh, in those cities, but at the moment typically from yeah. Beijing, Shanghai and Guangzhou. So again, if you were to take a three to five year time frame, that's interesting. If you go back to India again, you know, everyone's kind of in Delhi, Mumbai and, and Bengaluru. Mm. Um, but, you know, Hyderabad's interesting and one or two of the other markets yeah. are interesting. So there's all sorts of info going. But I, I personally don't think the, um, if you look at the, you know, what's the main mission for international PR firms in Asia, I, I personally don't think it's any more about geographic footprint right. as, as such. Mm. You know, I think it is far more about about getting, you know, being able to, ma- how do you manage global clients in these regions? And one thing we haven't talked about, but you might want to come on to, Arun, I don't know, is, you know, with out of this region are um, major corporations which have global ambitions and aspirations. Yeah, is, is that, I mean, that's been something that's been talked about for years. And certainly until fairly recently, I've always suspected it's been more talk than action. Uh, that's but a fair has, point. That, has that actually changed? No, I mean, we're seeing it's, Huawei it's changing. and some you, of the You've others. got, um, let's take, if you, know, if you take China, there, there's at the moment a large handful Mm. Okay, well, six to eight companies. I don't want to exclude anyone or list them all, but but six to eight maybe. Maybe you know, let's yeah. say Huawei and there's Lenovo yeah. and there's Hire and you know let's mm-hmm. okay, possibly China Mobile. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's that have because by virtue of the fact they've got an enormous domestic market, have enormous scale, mm. they have product innovation, really high product innovation. What they are um, grasping with is how do I take that into a global distribution network? And what is this global brand thing, right? Mm. (laughs) You know, how do I get... And as I said before, they look over to Japan and see what, you know, Sony and Panasonic and others have done, Toyota, and um, uh, uh, over the last 30, 40 years. It's taken them a long time to to do that. Sure. So they're they're engaging uh, different points of the learning curve with that whole notion of global branding and what does it take to have a global brand. If you look out of India, of course, there are there are businesses there, whether it's Tata or, mm-hmm. or, or many others, yep. that that um, similarly have 
huge scale, huge capital resources as well. Mm. But um, again, are you know going up that learning curve on what to do? If you look at you know the rest of Asia, there are there are brands. You know, let's take Singapore Airlines or Cathay for that matter. That are truly mm. kind of quasi global. Um, but there are other brands coming out of you know Southeast Asia, which are on the same learning curve. So I don't want to exaggerate that. You know, as of you know next March, we're gonna have all these global brands. No, it's and there aren't yet enough of them. Mm. And um, and they're 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 at different stages of that journey. But will it happen? Yeah, mm. I do believe it will. And it is time. happening. It is happening. It's yeah. it's slow. Mm. Um, and but I I can tell you just from our own you know experience, we have a. We have a practice which we call Emergent China, um, which kind of looks at these trends and tries, obviously, from our point of view, to identify some of the opportunities. Mm. And and we are seeing more. I mean, we're real name clients, unfortunately, yeah. some of which I can't mention in this interview, <laughs> but who are expressing great uh, interest to us in you know what can we do in Europe and what can we do in North America, and and kind of hold our hands on that journey, if if you like. And so that I do yeah. think is happening. Well, you know, if you look at some companies, you you could you could conclude that they really need public relations support in Western markets. I mean, um, let's take Alibaba as an example. Yeah. You know, it's it's a it's a, a a massive Chinese brand, but suffers from from a number of of issues in terms of how it's perceived in America, where it's now listed. I mean, how hard is it to get that kind of equation right when you're an agency? Not that I mean, I don't know if you're. Working well, for Alibaba, but no, that not, kind of a not problem. To the best of my knowledge, anyway. Okay, but, but how, how do you get that e- right? It's a good example. It's a, it's a tough one, and there has to be. I mean, here you got you quite right. Alibaba, huge scale of resources, and um, a watershed kind of event, wasn't it? The listing, mm. um, and then they immediately run into cross cultural issues about mm-hmm. again some of the governance issues, perhaps no comment on them, uh, just but by reportage and so on. And that's a learning curve they're just going to have to get through, right? Now, whether they use an agency or not, um, I think, you know, had they you know, come to us or one of our uh, respected competitors, we could have helped steer that a little bit along the way. But at, but at the end of the day, you know, this is this is something they need to learn within themselves. Agencies mm. can help a lot, of course. Right. But they need to learn within themselves and they will make mistakes. Just as, by the way, when American and European countries, companies, were driving into Asia in the 70s, 80s, 90s, there were a lot of cock-ups, you know, yeah. I mean, culturally, yeah. and a lot of mistakes were made. And, still are. And still are, maybe. Yeah. So, um, you know, anyone who takes, goes outside a home market um, and, tr- and, and tries to engage with that globally is going to have those issues. One of the things I do think we're absolutely seeing, though, Arun, is, is um, you know, we talk about ch- Chinese and Indian companies going global, and, and as I said, there's a, there's a small handful of doing that. But we're seeing far more intra-regional traffic. Okay, mm. so so the ability of Chinese and Indian companies to say sell into Southeast Asia or sell into yeah. Australia or, or Africa, or, indeed, or, if you're or, a Chinese company, huge Chinese Africa yeah. link, quite right. Mm. And so again, it's a much more complex pattern below than just yeah. saying global, global, global. Right. And and those kind of patterns of trade and connection and so on are again fertile ground for a business like us yeah. to to try and help and support those. It's clients. almost like the uh, the 17th or 18th century again. <laughs> Well, yes. Well, let's hope we don't have a South Sea bubble. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we do. No, I'm sure we don't. Um, coming back to Europe uh, before we before we finish this up, how do you feel the markets here um, have changed? I guess starting with the UK, you've been away eight years. Yeah. Apart from the fact that everyone's grown beards now, 
How do you Everyone's see the... going better, including you, Arun. And, uh, <laughs> How's the um, PR industry changed in London, do you think? Well, I, I tell you, I find London a lot more congested than when I went away. I'm not right. sure that's because of that's all just the road drivers works. out there or whatever. Yeah. But, but that's um, fun. Well, listen, Europe's, Europe's kind of doing okay. I mean, mm. everyone is, is uh, you know, again, the reportage obsesses with the problems in the Eurozone, and for sure there are, and Greek debt, and can Portugal survive, and... And we, you know, we have this enormous um, human and social tragedy of mm-hmm. migrants and refugees, which, you know, we all desperately want governments to engage with and get a hold of. At least I do. I think others do as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as usual, there are the shock, horror, terrible headlines. Below that level, I, I you know, come back and see, you know, I can't speak for everyone else's business, but I see a business that's actually doing pretty good. You know, we've, mm-hmm. we've um, grown the ship quite strongly. Uh, especially in the UK, of course, but not mm. just in the UK. If you look at the you know, performance in some of the continental European markets, kind of there's a disconnect between that and the headlines. Mm. So now, uh, you know, I don't want to exaggerate either. You know, we're not looking at 35% kind of growth we've got in China, okay? <laughs> um, that, that's not to be, but we are looking at, at good growth. We are looking at huge appetite for, for digital engagement. We are seeing a deepening and broadening. We're seeing not quite as quickly as I'd like, kind of the continental European markets growing in stature, of, you know, versus uh, London. There's always that slight tension there, sure. but, which, which every network has. Yeah, London will always be important, but it would be mm. great to see, you know, more homegrown German, Italian, French, yeah. Portuguese capabilities. So I'd love to drive that a bit quicker, but there's some reality there as well. So you know, you've got a. Um, um, uh, an, a region which is, in spite of the negativity, growing all right, you know, uh, uh, more than all right. Um, and, and I'm delighted to, I'm not supposed to talk about revenue and profits, but our revenue is growing and our profits are growing. Sorry, I just did. And um, in, in this region, that's a credit to the management team. So, so, and it's still a very civilized place to be. Mm. I mean, you know, yeah. the one thing I did miss in Hong Kong was, you know, Greek islands and Tuscany and all that. It's a very civilized place. I've been trying to get an office down there, but unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be an appetite for it. The Greek operations. The Greek operations. Not running it. Is there anything in the way that businesses are shaped, PR agencies are shaped in Europe that is maybe different to Asia in terms of the type of work they're doing? The uh, is it is, is there more revenue coming out of you know digital and contents? Well, it's it's again not uh, not a sort of simple contrast. Mm. So. Obviously, you know, digital is this label we have to use in a, sh- in a short mm. podcast. You know, it covers many different things. But clearly there's, a, you know, a lot of um, digital engagement going on here. I have to say in, in, there's just as much in Asia, mm. in different different forms and in right. different kinds. And part of the, you know, one of the reasons I'm, I'm, I hope to add a little bit of value here is to kind of cross-fertilize the kind of stuff that works in Asia and see if it works here and, vi- and vice versa. Right. So I think, listen, every every um, major PR firm has been thinking about structure. Um, you know, one of my um, sister companies in CMG, of course, Goldwyn, made a, made a development on that some time mm-hmm. ago, which, which, you know, reflected what it thought was best for, right. for that market. I think that's going, going well. And so stru- structure's one issue. The, the flow and pattern by which we, the dynamics by which we organize ourselves and organize clients and try, the, the, I suppose the key, really key thing to me is, remains breaking down silos. Mm. You know, we go to, a, we, increasingly we go to a client and 
at least some clients, and they tend to be large and you know complicated ones with with money, mm. want to know what is your idea. Don't give me just a, a pack. What's your idea? How does it work across multi-platforms? How does it mm. work in PR? How does it work online? How does it work in experiential? How does it work in this? And in other words, they want us to bake a cake for them, mm. right? Now, until now, what we've kind of done is say, well, we've got some sugar and milk and flour and mm. we'll try and mix it together for you. And yeah. it isn't quite good enough, right? Yeah. They want a cake. We need to go buy some candles. We, yeah, quite. <laughs> let's let's drop that metaphor there now. Um, was, I know I introduced it, sorry. But but seriously, they're looking for um, for thinking and delivery outside the silo. Outside the silos that exist within a PR company, point one. Mm-hmm. And then outside, you know, between a PR company and a media activation company and an ad company and so on. And so going back to my other hat, you know, the one I wear at night, which is the CMG hat, um, you know, one of the things um, I hope to be able to add a little bit of value on is getting people to think more in that direction. In Asia, that happened naturally, by the way, because because... Because none of these markets, PR, events, mm. branding, were that specialised. Yeah. So the whole, you know, let's give you credit to another competitor, the old Ogilvy 360 yeah. model, which developed, mm. I think they developed it first in Asia, to yeah. be fair to them. Yeah, it was did. very, very powerful. Mm. And and so there is a natural kind of integration that takes place. Yeah. Here, because there's a much more sophisticated, mature marketing services disciplines like PR, mm. that's yeah, great, but the silos go mm. up as well. As yeah. well. So trying to trying to understand and getting people to engage and talk to each other more and, and just try and merge their intellectual property more to bring a solution to a client is one of the things I'm trying to do. Okay. But I'd put it to you as my last question. Aren't the biggest companies the most siloed themselves uh, on the client side? Well, of course they are. And um, and the world divides between those that know they are and try mm. to do something about it and those, those that don't. Okay. You know, big, big, we're no different. Yeah. Big companies have all these same uh, problems. You know, so... Um, you know, does the corporate affairs director in a client have any connection with the CMO mm. of the client? And, or are, and, and are the budgets completely siloed or are they across? And how does that relate to the CEO and the finance director? And how does that relate to internal engagement? Yeah, they do. They, they have these problems. Um, the smart ones, in my experience, are very aware they have them and are looking to agencies who, who they also know have these issues to kind of figure it out with them on how we break across you know, these divisions. But mm. one of the great things that's happening, I think, within PR, um, it's certainly happening with us, is our touch points into a client organization are vastly more diverse right. than they were just five years ago. It's so not just the comms director anymore. The comms director remains important, of yeah. course, but but it's not just the comms director. And part of the reason that, if you go back to digital, right, the whole, the whole digital engagement um, piece... Um, is is taking us into very very interesting new territories. You know, we often are sitting down with CMOs now, mm. and uh, that, of course that takes us out of our usual competitor space. You know, because mm, suddenly we're up against ad very agencies. different ad agencies, yeah. and activation agencies, especially as digital agencies. Mm. So that is a hugely dynamic environment as well. But but the overall message of all of that is, I think people people know they're silent. Clients know they're silent. We know occasionally we're not as unsiloed as we want to be, and. That again is the start point of wisdom. You know, mm. how do you unlock that? Um, you know, and keep the show on the road at the same time. Sure. Well, Tim, thank you so much. We um, we covered a lot of ground, <laughs> we did. which um, I'm very happy about. But I, it doesn't surprise me a lot because you have a both um, a, a 
a kind of very wide view of things, um, but also a lot of depth. So hopefully we'll get you back on here sometime that, that, soon. That would be absolutely great. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Thanks, Arif. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Marketeers 4DC for producing today's show. We'll be back in a couple of weeks.